And if you have your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, I was told that I could share a little bit about our trip to Spain. We just got back from a three-week trip to Spain, had a wonderful time. Uh, Obviously, having been born and grown up in Spain, that was a a great experience. Um, We arrived in Sevilla, in Seville. We spent uh, a week there. Uh, Got to do a Nine Marks Pastors Conference with about 40 different pastors from uh, around Spain. A very uh, exciting, encouraging time uh, with the men there. Uh, Then we went to uh, Cordoba, and we had received an invitation to go there. Uh, through the podcast. Some people in Spain had been listening to the parenting podcast, and they invited us to go to Spain. So Susan spoke to uh, about 275 women there uh, at the church in in Cordoba. It's really one of the larger churches in Spain, Um, and it was uh, very encouraging to have women from about 40 different churches at that conference. Uh, I spoke at the church on Sunday. Then we went to Granada. We did a a parenting seminar on a Tuesday evening in Granada. Uh, then we traveled to Sabadell, up north. Uh, those, those first three cities are in southern Spain. Uh, then we traveled up north, uh, spent a few days up north, and there was another women's conference, about 150 women at a church there uh, near Barcelona, uh, about 16 or 17 churches from uh, around northern Spain. Uh, so Susan spoke to them, preached in the church there, And then we got to travel back to Elche, where I was born, where I grew up. I got to see a lot of friends. Uh, got to go to Petrer, where uh, David and Maribel are, and see some of our friends there as well. On Wednesday night, uh, we did, well, Susan spoke to the women at the church in Elche, and then uh, taught on uh, some marriage and family-related issues on Wednesday night. And then we got back uh, Friday night, I just had a wonderful and very uh, encouraging time. But as I was in Spain, I was uh, preaching, the Sundays that I was preaching, uh, I was preaching from uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, what the passage we'll be looking at this evening, and we'll try to reduce it a little bit so we can uh, finish on time and and get to the fellowship uh, after the service. But as we look at Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be thinking a few minutes about uh, Abraham and Isaac. I don't know if you, you have had some friends maybe that have not been able to have children. Uh, we have had uh, that situation with uh, family in, in our church, several families or couples in our church. And uh, I remember uh, one particular uh, couple that was, uh, had been having a lot of marriage problems. Uh, we'd been trying to work through those marriage problems with them, and things had been uh, getting better. They'd been married for about seven or eight years, hadn't had any children. Uh, that was uh, one of the things that was bringing stress into their marriage. And, and as things had been getting better, we were thankful for what the Lord was doing in that marriage. And then uh, one day I got a phone call. I looked at my cell phone, and, and I saw the name, and, and it was the husband. And I, I must admit, my first reaction was, uh-oh, what happened now? And I uh, took the phone call, and it was really uh, unexpected to hear the joy in his voice as he told me that after many years of marriage, finally uh, his wife was pregnant, and they were expecting uh, their first child. And that was just uh, a moment of, of great joy. 
Uh, then a few months, well, nine months later, when uh, finally they had their first, uh, their first daughter, uh, just a, a wonderful time. And I think all parents love their children, but when you've lived through that situation, uh, those parents seem to have a special affection for their children. They, they, they spoil them, they dote on them, and uh, we, we've seen that several times. And as you think about Abraham and Sarah, we arrive in chapter 22. Uh, that's something that had happened uh, years before, probably about 15 years before this passage. They'd had finally Isaac be born in their family. And, and I just want you to imagine maybe a little bit of a scenario, what it might have looked like, uh, maybe one evening, a cold evening, the family sitting around the fire, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and, and they're talking. I know that's something we don't do very often as a family anymore. You know, there's, there's screen time and telephones and, and Netflix and all that. But once upon a time, families actually sat around and talked. And what would the conversations have been around the fire between Abraham and Sarah and Isaac? And I'm sure that some of the things that they talked about often were the promise that God had given them. I'm sure Abraham did not ever get tired of talking to Isaac about how God had been faithful to his promise. And it had been 25 long years, and there had been times when Abraham had doubted God, and, and there were moments even after 24 years when God had come to Abraham and told, uh, told him, one year from now, and Sarah will have a, a child. And, you know, Sarah was in the back listening and, she laughed, the laugh of unbelief. And God had called her down and said, it will happen. And uh, Sarah's laughter, that laughter of unbelief, had changed to the laughter of, of joy nine months or a year later when, when finally she was holding in her arms the, the child of the promise. And Abraham is telling Isaac this same story that he's told them over and over again. As they sit around the fire, the fire kind of burns down and it's, it's just cold now. And, and Abraham turns to Isaac and says, Hey, Isaac. And Isaac kind of laughs because he knows what's coming. Isaac, count the stars. Dad, I've tried it before. Come on, Isaac, count the stars. Okay, Dad. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wait a second. Did I count that one already? Uh, let's see. Let's try again. One, two, three, four. Come on, Dad. I can't count the stars. That's right. That's right. You know, Isaac, one day, a night like this, 40 years ago or so, God came to me and he told me that he was going to give me a descendant's that was just as numerous as the stars. And you're the first one. And you know, there were moments when we doubted God's promise. There were moments when it seemed impossible. There were moments when we didn't understand what he was doing. But, but you should never doubt God, Isaac. God always fulfills his promises. You can always trust him. You can always believe him and always obey him. So the family kind of 
realizes it's time to go to bed and everybody gets up and, and goes to bed and Abraham's heart, I'm sure, is just bursting with joy at what God has allowed him to have in his family and to have this son. And, and he goes to bed that night and he's thanking God and, and all of a sudden he hears a voice. Abraham. And his heart jumps within him because he knows that voice. It's a voice that he hasn't heard very often, but, but when he's heard it, it's been a special moment that, that God has come to him. It's the, it's the voice of, of, his, of his God. And he hears that voice, and, and he answers as a, as a humble servant. He says, here I am. And, and then he hears the most horrible words that he could have ever heard. He hears God telling him, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine what Abraham was feeling at that moment? I'm sure he felt like there was this enormous weight on his chest that he couldn't hardly breathe. What? Isaac, my son. See, God was asking him to give him what he most loved. And that's a hard thing. And I think that all of us at some level know that as we follow Christ, as we follow God and his word, he asks us to give ourselves to him. And, and the reality is that most of the times those, those moments of surrender, those moments of sacrifice are, are moments that are small. They're small decisions that we have to make every day, sometimes a thousand in one day. But there are moments in our life when God comes to us and he, he reaches his hand out and he says, give me what you most love. Has God ever asked you for that? What have you answered him? What would you have done if you were Abraham? I'm sure that Abraham had some sort of internal conflict. I'm sure that that was the longest night that Abraham had ever experienced in his entire life. Going over those words that he had heard, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and Go offer him as a burnt offering. What? I mean, how, how can I do that? But God, this is the son of the promise. God, this is, this is the son through whom my descendants, those descendants as numerous as the stars are going to come. And, and how can I offer him as a sacrifice? And yet we're told in the passage that that morning Abraham rose up very early in the morning and, and he made all the preparations. And, and I mean, I think as he saddled his donkey, he might have been thinking of doing a Jonah, you know, going the opposite direction. But, but no, the passage tells us that he made all the preparations. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. What must those days as he traveled have felt like for Abraham? I mean, he's going with Isaac and his two servants, and I'm sure Isaac is, is kind of talking excitedly about some of the things that he's seeing, maybe things he hadn't seen before, and, and Abraham's just sort of sitting there barely talking. 
Abraham, who always loved to talk to his son, and, and yet he couldn't talk to him about those simple things that were, were being seen around him. And he's like, Dad, what, what's going on? And it seems like maybe the only thing that Abraham wants to talk about is the promise. It's the only thing that can bring him any sort of joy or any sort of comfort in that moment. I mean, you can't talk about just trivial things when you're carrying a load so great. And then they travel, and then they arrive at the first campsite and set up camp, and Isaac stretches out on his blankets and goes to sleep, and Abraham sits by the fire and watch it, watches it burn down to coals and just thinking. Because God had asked him for what he loved most. And he gets up the next morning and he's hardly slept a wink and they travel again and make another campsite and another long night goes by and he gets up and they continue traveling and the passage tells us that on the third day Abraham lifts up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Every step closer to that place that God had told him. And so he leaves his servants there and he takes Isaac and he starts towards that place. And he takes the wood, verse 6 tells us. The wood of the burnt offering. And he places that wood on the back of his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. That cold, sharp knife. And they climbed that mountain. And they're going to offer a sacrifice, and Isaac turns around and says, Dad, aren't we missing something? I mean, we're going to offer a sacrifice. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And at that moment, maybe Abraham's knees buckle a little bit, and that iron will that has taken him this long, it seems to maybe like fracture at that moment. And, and, What's he going to say? What's he going to tell Isaac? And the only thing he can say is, Isaac, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide for us a sacrifice. And they continue climbing and they reach the top of the mountain and they start gathering the stones for the altar. And they build the altar and the entire time Isaac's kind of looking at Abraham and like, Dad, where's the lamb? They build the altar and they lay out the wood on top of the altar and there's no putting it off anymore. And Isaac takes, Abraham takes Isaac's hands in his and he says, Isaac, three nights ago, God told me to bring you here and to offer you as a sacrifice. Dad, what? What? Me? Yeah, Isaac, you're the sacrifice. But, but Dad, don't sacrifices die? Yeah. Yeah. Isaac, I, I don't understand what God has asked me to do. But I do know that God is faithful to his promises and 
That God will always do what He says and He has told me that you are the Son of the promise and that through you will come a great descendant. And, and so I don't know how. And the only explanation that I can come to is that, is that God is going to raise you from the dead. But I do know that God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. If he'd said, take your son, maybe it could have been Ishmael. That would have been terrible. But he was very specific. He said, Isaac. And so, son, you are to be offered as a sacrifice. Can you think of what Isaac might have, might have thought? I mean, Isaac's 15 years old approximately. I'm sure that a 15-year-old could have easily outrun his 115-year-old father, right? But the influence that Abraham has had on his son Isaac is so great that he climbs up on the altar and he allows his father to tie his hands and tie his feet. Because God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. How can you do that? How can can you do that to your son? The son whom you love. You see, God was asking Abraham for the thing that he loved most. And yet, as he asked him for the thing that he loved most, what became very evident was that Abraham did not love Isaac the most. What Abraham loved the most was God. And since he really loved God above all things, when God asked him for his son Isaac, whom he loved, he was willing to give him to God. And so Isaac is on the altar and Abraham reaches out and takes, takes that knife, that cold and sharp knife that he has used to cut the throat of countless lambs to offer and sacrifice to his God whom he loves above all else. And yet now he stretches out his arm and he puts his hand to the throat of his only son Isaac whom he loves. And at that moment, the voice of the angel of the Lord calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch the boy. We find that in verse 12. Verse 12, we hear that the angel of the Lord calls to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I can imagine Isaac and Abraham, as, Isaac, as Abraham unties Isaac and he gets down off that altar and they hug like they've never hugged before. They cry together. And then the angel says, Abraham, Jehovah Jireh, look behind you, there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that's going to take the place of Isaac and, and can be offered there on the altar. And Abraham has given God 
what he loves the most. This is an amazing story. It's an amazing story of, of surrender to God, of profound love for God. It's an amazing story of the influence that Abraham has had over Isaac as well. Yet I don't know about you, but when I come to the end of the story, there are certain things that kind of run through my mind that, that kind of bother me. As I think about this story, one of the things that bothers me is what right does God have to ask Abraham to, to do what he asked him to do? I mean, it seems unfair. It seems cruel. And so as we think a little bit about this story and about what God has asked Abraham to do, does God have the right to ask Abraham to give him what he most loves? I think he does. I'm just going to mention three reasons why I think he does. And I think God asks us the same thing and has the right to ask us the same thing, that we would give God what we most love. First of all, because that thing that we love most, God gave it to us. When God asks us to give him what we love most, he's asking us to give back to him something that he gave to us. I mean, think about Isaac. Isaac was the son of the promise. He was the, the, the miracle child that God had given to Isaac or to Abraham. And so as God gives us things, oftentimes he, he has to ask us to give them back to him because we begin to love the good gifts that God gives us more than we love the God who's given us those good gifts. And those good gifts begin, begin to, to become competition for God on the throne of our hearts. And so sometimes God has to stick out his hand and say, give me what you most love. I'm sure Abraham at times was, was tempted to put Isaac on the throne of his heart and to love Isaac more than he loved God. And, and when God asks him, God has the right to ask because God had given him that thing, that person that he most loved. So I think that's one reason why God has the right to ask us for what we most love. But a second reason is that God asks us to give him what we love most because God knows what we need most. It's interesting in this passage when God comes to Abraham and tells him not to hurt the boy, that the first thing that God says is, for now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God. Immediately, God focuses on his relationship with Abraham and Abraham's relationship with him. You see, the focus of the story is not so much Abraham and Isaac. The focus of the story is really Abraham and God. And what Abraham needed more than Isaac, what Abraham needed more than the son of the promise, Abraham needed a relationship, a deeper relationship with God himself. And oftentimes we look around and we see things that we think that we need to be happy. We think that we need that object, we need that person, we need that job if we are going to be fulfilled in our life. 
And we think, that's what I most need in my life. And that is not what we most need in our lives. And so sometimes God asks us for that thing that we think is what will bring us joy and satisfaction. And so we have set our affection and we have set our love on that object, on that person, on that job. And God says, give that thing to me. Not because he is a mean and cruel God, but because he wants to give us that which we need most. God comes to Abraham and he talks to him about that relationship that he has. And then in verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Now, now that's an amazing statement. It's the first time in Scripture that we find that statement. It's one of the, one of the very few times we find it in Scripture. And, and God himself swears by his own name. God had promised Abraham some of these things already, but, but now we see an escalation in that promise. And he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And when Abraham gave to God that which he loved most, God is giving to Abraham that which he needs the most. And so God is not being a mean and cruel God. He is wanting to give him a greater blessing. It's interesting in verse 12 where it says, For now I know that you fear God. Now, doesn't God know all things? Isn't God omniscient? Well, certainly God knows all things. Certainly God knew this. But, but the things that God knows in his omniscience have to have to happen in real life. Have to happen in time and space. And so as it happens, yes, God knew it and God knows it. But you know who else knew that Abraham loved God more than anything else? Abraham himself. You see, it's easy to come to church and kind of sing those nice hymns and songs that we sing on Sunday morning and, and seeing that we love God. That's very easy and it's a very Christian thing to do. But then when God reaches out and says, give me the thing that you love most, it's at that moment that we find out if we really got, love God the most. And if we're willing to give God that which we love most, we are demonstrating that we truly love God above all else. And Abraham finds that out. But, but I think the last reason that God asks us to give him what we love most is that so we can be an example to other people. Because not only did Abraham know that Abraham loved God above all things, who else knew that? Who else found that out in a very graphic way. Isaac. Isaac. At that moment, Isaac knew that his father loved God above all else. And in some way, Isaac had picked up on that. 
in all those years of sitting around the campfire and trying to count the stars and hearing that same story over and over again of the promise of God and hearing Abraham say, son, you can trust God. You can believe God. Even when you don't understand God, you can, you can rest in his promises. In all those years, somehow Isaac knew that. And that's why Abraham had been such an influence on his life. And and that's why he was willing to climb on that altar. But he realized in a deeper and greater way that Abraham loved God above all things, even more than he loved his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved. And as we think about this, as we think about this story, we we can look at it and, and think, you know, I mean, this is an amazing story. And this is the story of Abraham, I mean, the father of the faith. And we think through Scripture and we realize that God asked other believers in Scripture, some of the great men and women of faith, that they also should give everything to God. We can kind of sit back here and say, well, I mean, these were the great superheroes of the faith, and, and that's who God asked to give everything, to give what they most love it. But thankfully, I'm not a superhero. I'm just an average Christian, normal uh, believer, and, and I'm glad I don't have to face that. You know, that would be a fatal mistake. Let me quote you some words of Jesus about 2,000 years later. I think it will remind us of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to give him what you most love. If you refuse to give Jesus what you most love, you are not worthy of him. You cannot follow him. You see, God asks every believer that we give him what we most love. And that might seem cruel. That might seem like something that is too much for us. We might look at God and say, what right do you have to ask me for that? But stop a minute and think. Who else gave up what they most loved? God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you see, when God asks us to give him what we love most, we have to realize that God gave us what he loved most. Years later, centuries later, on that same mountain where Abraham took Isaac to be offered, a temple would be built. And every morning and evening, lambs would be offered up as sacrifices that were dying as substitutes for the sins of the descendants 
of Abraham. And yet, the blood of those lambs could not take away the sin of the world, and so God would give up his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved, and his son would come down and take on human flesh, and he would go to that same mountain. And there, he would be taken, arrested, judged, and taken out to another mount outside of that city, and he would be nailed to a cross. And that day, there would be no angel of the Lord that would say, don't touch the boy, because the angel of the Lord was being nailed to the cross. There would be no other lamb that is offered up as a substitute for Jesus because Jesus was the lamb. The lamb that was being slain to take away the sin of the world. And so, my friend, when God stretches out his hand to you and says, give me what you most love, he is asking you to do what he did for you. He has the right to do it because he gave you what he most loved and what you most needed. And as we think about that, then the natural response in our heart is to open up our hands and place in his hand that which we most love. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is God asking us tonight? What is that thing? What is that person? What is that dream that God is asking you to give to him? For many of us, it might be our children. We live in a society that tells us the most important thing in life is your children. You need to love your children more than you love anything else, and that is terrible advice. Your children need to know that you love God much more than you love them. That is the way to be the best possible parent. And if you want to have this type of influence on your child, you have to be willing to love God more than you love your children. You have to be willing to, to give God your children. And that's often something that we're not willing to do. We hold our children tightly. They are ours they are the thing that is going to bring joy and satisfaction and fulfillment to our hearts. And God says, if you really want to be an influence on your child, you need to give me your children. Think about how Abraham was such an influence on Isaac. That didn't happen by accident. You know how it happened? It happened by sitting around the campfire and telling that story, the story of God's promise and God's faithfulness and God's fulfillment over and over and over again. And if we're going to influence our children, that is the story that we have to tell them over and over and over again as well. And playing soccer and football and getting your fingernails done, all those things are, are good. 
But if they take us away from sitting around the table with our children and telling them the story of God's promise and God's faithfulness and God's commitment to us, then those things have to go because the most important thing that our children need is not soccer and basketball and football. The most important thing that they need is they need to know that we love God and that God can be trusted and God can be followed and God keeps his promises. Some of you here aren't parents, and, and maybe God's asking you for some other thing, some, some plan, some future dream that you have. Maybe some of you, God is asking you to give, them the, give him the dream of children. Maybe there are young people here, and, and you have your future all planned out. You know exactly what you're going to do with your life, and it has nothing to do with God's plans for your life. And and maybe God is asking that you give your future to God. You see, God comes to every single one of us. And he asks us to give him what we love most. And he has the right to do it. Because he gave us what he loved the most to give us what we needed most as well. So I just invite you this evening to Take a moment and think about that thing. I don't know what it is. You probably do. That thing that you love most. And are you real willing to give it to God and demonstrate that you love God above all else? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Isaac. Thank you for Abraham. Thank you for their story. And Father, I pray that as we look at their great love for you, that it would point us to your great love for us. And that we would have that faith to believe that you will fulfill your promises, that we can trust you even when it's hard, even when we don't understand. And that we would open up our hands and place in your hand that which we love most. Because what we really love above all else is you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.